Hello and welcome back to Rabbit Hole Stories. I hope everyone's okay. Uh, we've just finished speaking with Q, just like the letter. Um, and uh, what a great guy he is. We we first, well, I first met him in Amsterdam and we've stayed in touch ever since. And uh, it was a pleasure having him on the show. Um, and we just spoke um, a lot about football, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which I fucking hate. Um, <laughs> and um, we spoke about Bitcoin Magazine and his work there and the, the people he met and his Bitcoin rabbit hole story, which was a fascinating one. And uh, he's, he was such a nice, gentle guy. And uh, I had lots of fun. All about you, Joel. It was a great episode that showed uh, all of us have different interests in Bitcoin yeah. for different reasons. And we still need to allow us some space to talk about all of these things. So we went on like a 10 minute rant Q&I about uh, football the proper football guys, not the American cheap <laughs> shit. Um, we then also spoke about his work. I think we got into a very, a very specific rabbit hole story. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. So it one. was, it was quite a nice mix. came up. Yeah, that's well. true. We had a good that's uh, true. And, and financial privilege. We spoke about financial privilege. So quite a lot of content in this one. It was, it was mm. really nice. And a little bit about American politics and the way it's uh, structured. Uh, yeah. as well which was a fascinating uh, thing I've, I've learned a few things from q today so that was really good so i think what we'll do is we will um now go down the bitcoin rabbit hole with q and enjoy the episode guys board button <laughs> oh, so we're really, okay we're really yeah, we're going straight in then joel right we were just talking about loop q i think <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you said you wanted to go down my hole, so I, I just I did you know say that. that. Yeah, and I said that. And, and he starts the recording off with like, "Let's go straight in." So <laughs> I think we yeah. fit it perfectly. Yeah, right. I'm all lubed up. I'm ready to go down my own hole. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Where are my rubber gloves? <laughs> you need protection, Q. Has no one ever told you that? You got. To... <laughs> of course, of course. Mate, thank you for coming on. Um, Q. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, no, it's our pleasure. Um, as I was trying to say, and I failed because um, I went straight to your hole, um, <laughs> we, we want to know what your Bitcoin rabbit hole is, um, how you discovered Bitcoin, why you decided to stay in the space in the first place, and, and where are you at now down this rabbit hole of Bitcoin? I know you've done quite a lot of stuff for Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, mate, I used to watch you pretty much every day. Mm. I used to finish work and uh, the notification for Bitcoin Magazine Live came on and you and your 150-year-old colleague uh, <laughs> <laughs> were there just, just basically chatting shit, but also with quality content about Bitcoin. And um, it was a great show to tune into every day. So thank you for uh, all that entertainment that you've provided um, me and no doubt many other people in the Bitcoin space. And um, it was only um, that that I then reached out to you uh, in Amsterdam. And that's when we first met and uh, had a very quick chat in Amsterdam. Um, so all I want to know, Q, is um, how you got into Bitcoin and why you stayed. Sure. Uh, firstly, thank you. Like I, I was simply just, you know, sharing my thoughts and talking amongst friends. So it, it, it would it's an honor to have played a small part in helping you sort of digest what's going on. Um, I will tell you the long version of it because it's, I like to break it up into three different parts. There is the time I heard about Bitcoin. Q's come prepared today. Yes. The, ti the time that I 
was convinced about Bitcoin, didn't buy it, and then like eventually bought it. And then the time that I was properly orange-pilled. Um, to start, I've told this story countless times. It was 2013. I was in college, maybe even 2012, end of 2012, early 2013. And I was, you know, I wanted to send weed to myself in college and I was trying to figure out how to do it. A friend of me, friend of mine told me about Linked uh, Silk Road and genuinely I wanted to just like enter my debit card onto this website and like <laughs> leave a paper trail of, oh yeah, I, <laughs> I bought drugs illegally online. And when my buddy tried to explain like, no, you have to buy this thing called Bitcoin and use that. I was like, no, like that, that mm, sounds mm, too difficult. Mm. I don't want to do it. Um, I lacked the curiosity. I think I, I was a little too close minded, um, knowing myself at that time i think if i had just had like an ounce of curiosity i might have at a bare minimum i would have bought some and sent weed to myself but i probably would have like done the thing where like i bought a little more than i needed whether or not you know i would have stored it properly whether i would have gotten mount gox whole other conversation but i do scold myself a little for that and fast forward four years um, one of my close friends who like, we would text about stocks we were investing in. Like we were very much like, this was my buddy that we talked about. How do we make more money? How do we change our net worth in a way that just will change our lives? And he came home from San, San Francisco and it was December time, 2017. And he essentially is uh, like, we're catching up like, yo, how's work been? Blah, blah, blah. I quit my job. And I'm going to go to a Bitcoin conference and I want to try to work in Bitcoin. And I, and we just start talking about it. He's like, are you familiar with it? I was like, you know, I heard about it in college. Like, so I know somewhat about it, but I don't really like know it. And point blank, it was him explaining the 21 million and the fact that there, at least at the time, what we understood was there will never be more than 21 million, which that that is not true. People should understand that that can get changed. It most likely won't, but it, it could be changed. But at the time, at least we were like, oh, 21 million. I was just dealing with a freaking stock split on one of my stocks that has the stock cratering right now. Right. Like th like this arbitrary, like, oh, they can just print more money. They can print more stocks. And like our stuff gets devalued as a result. So it clicked for me in that moment. But the best thing that happened to me, I was ironically i still live with my parents but at the time i was living with my parents <laughs> and i was you know living the hollywood dream i was trying to be an agent i was still an assistant i was getting paid minimum wage living with my parents i still had student loan debt so i literally point blank just said to my boy i was like dude i'm not kidding like like i'm convinced i just don't have money like i gotta i got i gotta move out so it was a blessing because i'm still like still to this day like i'm a i'm I was brought up as a growth investor in the school of William O'Neill, can slim investing. For those who are familiar with it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But there are certain rules and principles that I still to this day adhere to. One of them being like, hey, if a stock falls like seven, eight percent, I typically end up like selling, reevaluating, reassessing, at least if I don't have a profit cushion to go off of. So at the time, December 2017, like this is that original bull run up to 18, 19, 20K. 
dude, if I bought there and was left holding the bag, I would have never looked at Bitcoin again. Oh, ever. Yeah. yeah, shit. So thank God though, like I just, I didn't have money. So I didn't buy any Bitcoin, but I still was aware of it. And I was still very curious. I would read a couple articles here and there. I was like trying to understand it a little bit more. I read the white paper. I was actually, I read the white paper in 2019 at least six times because it was, it was too technically dense for me. It's hard to digest. Yeah. Like I wasn't a computer guy, so I didn't understand that. And I quite frankly, like I wasn't as strong understanding economy until, and I, I always talk about this book. So this is like the most, Mate, that's the book, book you showed me when we were on yes. the chat the other day, 23 things they don't tell you about. Like this book influenced me a, a ton, a ton. Mm. So fast forward to, 2018, I get promoted. That winter, 2019, I get my first bonus check as an agent, which was like, oh, this is like some, I have like real money now. And I I have like too much cash. So I essentially start talking to my buddy again. And, and I'm like, all right, tell me the on-ramps. Like, where tell can I go more, to buy Bitcoin? Tell me more. <laughs> where can I go to buy some Bitcoin now? Like, what yeah. are, what do I need to be doing? Um, he helped me like, do you know I will say like very openly and honestly, the first Bitcoin I bought was on Gemini. The next Bitcoin I bought was on Cash App and the next Bitcoin I bought was on Coinbase. Like the worst sort of MO. But again, my logic and rationale to getting into it, it wasn't the privacy. Remember in 2013, I literally was willing to put my fucking debit card information (laughs) on Silk Road. Like like, that privacy aspect, (laughs) I I was still, I wasn't there yet. I didn't understand that component Mm. of Bitcoin. I didn't appreciate that. I genuinely, this book in the afterward, it talks about the 2008 financial crisis. It talks about the money printing and how dangerous that was and how we didn't really solve the problems that we created for ourselves and that we are inevitably in a a, a downward spiral. So for me, I saw it from that lens. So I was casually buying Bitcoin at this point, starting in 2019, come 2020, COVID, get laid off. Now I'm like full-time mm. investing and I am writing a newsletter where I'm talking about the economy. I'm talking about equities. I'm talking about fantasy football. I'm not talking about Bitcoin yet. But then I start running these weird calculations and I essentially, I got into a very long discussion with my dad and I was like, okay, if you or I go to buy this bond right now, it's worth 70 cents on the dollar. But the Federal Reserve right now today is paying 100 cents on the dollar for a bond that is not worth 100 cents on the dollar. This does not mathematically make sense in my head. This literally to me sounds as though like you are burning and wasting money because the next moment you can't sell it for a hundred cents on the dollar. You have to sell it for that discount that you are willing to pay the premium off of. So that sort of spread right there, that to me, that was the first sign of holy fucking shit. We're about to, we're about to fall off a cliff here. And I was, I was like banging this weird drum on inflation in 2020. I was writing about it. I was saying like this, like you can't do this. Like it doesn't logically make sense to me. And I was calling friends who work at Morgan Stanley. I was calling friends who work on Wall Street. I was begging them, explain the logic to me. Like I need to understand why in your guys' office right now, this is viewed as a good thing. Because to me, this smells trouble. Not right now. 
not right now. I started writing. I was like, inflation is coming and it's already here. And I wrote about how inflation is in the stock market first. All of these stock prices are actually inflated for now. And if you know you follow that whole logic of, hey, the stock market leads the general economy. Okay, if the stock market, I think the stock market is inflated today, that probably means that the rest of the economy is going to be inflated tomorrow. When tomorrow actually comes remains to be seen. 2021, 2022, if you've been living <clears throat> under a rock and you're just finding out. Um, so I write up this whole thing and then I'm talking to my buddy again who introduced me to Bitcoin. And I kid you not, he was like, well, this is this is the exact reason why Bitcoin exists. I then pick this book up for the third time and I pick certain chapters <laughs> I wanted to read and then it clicks to me and here's my dark horse. Hajun Chang, who is a professor of economics at Cambridge, that is my dark horse for who is Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, because everything he describes that we need, he essentially described Bitcoin. So that was the moment where it clicked to me like, oh, a stateless money is a better money. Then I start going down the rabbit holes of VJ bullish case for bitcoin oh yeah yeah this yeah. was this was huge i would send this article to any of my friends who wanted to know more i was like read read the article version first and then i will i will explain everything i can to you i was essentially at this point in time i was reading you know every article i could find every blog post i was listening to um robert breedlove preston pish before he started the bitcoin podcast i started like he started talking about it on the investors pod and i was like all right i need to just every time preston said something i was listening to him every time breedlove said something i was listening to him every time stefan lavera would talk i would listen you know bitcoin magazine would publish this or that i would i would be reading as much as i could absorbing it and as i learned more it just it kept making more sense and for me that was you know we, we talk about it a lot in this space like you got to do the work yeah. to appreciate and understand what bitcoin is how you get into it it differs and it's a spectrum that's why we say bitcoin is for everyone bitcoin fixes everything it's because you can value you can genuinely value money you can be against monetary debasement and be a Bitcoiner. You can be pro the environment and still be pro Bitcoin. You can be anti-state-sponsored money. You can be anti-war. You can be pro privacy in spending. Whatever, like there's so many shades to Bitcoin. And it's really like that one thing that gets you in. And then when you do the work and see everything else, that's when it's like, oh my God, that's when you really 100, start to 100 there. And this is exactly the work we're doing here. And this is why we want to know people's rabbit hole stories, because it doesn't matter your route into it. It doesn't matter your motivations as to how you got that aha moment. Oh fuck, this is Bitcoin. Wow, this is going to be world changing and shit. You know, your route into it might be different. It might be similar with other people as well, because, you know, you know, we've spoken to a couple of people got in through the whole Silk Road um, side as well. And, um, you know, that that seems to be a route in. Um, but loads of other different people with loads of different other stories. It's fascinating. But then when you understand Bitcoin, it just changes your whole mindset entirely. Um, what was the main thing that in your mind thought, shit, 
you know this can solve this problem and it's something a problem that you've always thought needs solving was there any any particular thing that you're hoping that bitcoin can change in the future now or when i was first looking learning about Mate, bitcoin both let's hear both like I'll, I'll be very honest like when i first heard about bitcoin like i for so long like throughout college i would always poke fun at the idea that like hey you know the dollar's not backed by anything. like it's just because we have the military i didn't really appreciate i think the petrodollar at the time uh-huh. but to me at first for whatever reason i thought that oh you're going to see states eventually have to tie their currency to something like bitcoin that everyone can agree upon um now i don't believe that i think there will be steps we take to eventually get to the point where Bitcoin is a unit of account. You know, you're seeing international trade completed in Bitcoin. I think the steps we take to get there might involve, you know, a reversion to even just a gold-backed currency for a little bit or a fiat currency that's backed by a basket of commodities instead of just one. But eventually we will sort of, oh, hey, you know what? We don't need to put silver in this basket hey you know what we don't need to put lithium or we don't need to put oil in this whatever it is eventually things will fall off and then it's like oh we really only need bitcoin to tie our fiat back but then why do we even need the fiat if we can just use the bitcoin more easily than than bitcoin to begin with um look real world examples today of what it solves the easiest low-hanging fruit is the remittances and like I, I'm not shy about saying this. I I probably should start to be a little more, but like I, most of my family lives in Iran. I'm the son of two immigrants. Both my mom's side and my dad's side, our entire family still lives in Iran. We were going through a conversation recently where, you know, my mom is trying to send money back to her sister and my dad and I are, are genuinely explaining to her. I'm like, this is exactly why Bitcoin exists because if she could, you know, I, I'm talking to my cousin, setting up, figuring out a way for them to set up a node that doesn't say it's in Iran so that I can more easily send the money to them. And then she has an actual wallet because like, hey, we're really fucking luck. Like I'm in, I'm in the US. I have so, in California in particular. So I have so many options from like those options that I said, but also all the wallet options like Moon, Cold Card, Ledger, like the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm country like iran that's not the case like i've dm'd a lot of founders of different wallets and i've genuinely like my question has been very consistent can this work in iran no unfortunately not like that is a very consistent thing that i keep finding so like that right now today is a problem it solves that again you might be privileged enough and i say it not to attack you or feel bad but you just might be lucky you might be the lucky class of citizens that you don't need to worry about sending remittance payments to a country that and family members that need it. Like you could genuinely just be lucky and you could be able to hold Bitcoin for a long period of time without worrying about the price movement. And amazing. Good for you. I hope you're building and growing and helping to establish Bitcoin to what it can be. But then there are other people who desperately today, right now, they need this solution and it it's inspiring to a degree like it it's not <laughs> i started out in bitcoin thinking i was going to get rich 
I started out thinking like, once I get that whole Bitcoin, it's over. Like I'm gonna be rich. Like, yeah, same. I don't same. fucking care. I don't. Like I will spend all of my Bitcoin in my lifetime if it means I can help move the technology forward to help grow it, to help adoption. Like that would be a life fulfilled for me, genuinely. Carrying my kid would hate me for it, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just wanted to add to Port. Uh, one of the coffee shops I usually go to on Saturday is owned by uh, an Iranian, older women, like one is 50, I think the other one is like 62, um, old for me, I don't know, listeners, maybe I offended some of you, but um, old for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I spoke to her, I was like, you know, have you ever thought about sending Bitcoin down to your relatives? Because she has the exact same issue, Q. And um, she was like, yeah, but I first have to get a smartphone down there because like you can't open up the Apple App Store or like the Google Play Store and quickly download the app. You have to like think about smuggling these fucking devices in and finding a way because once they're in and they're lucky to connect to the Internet, that's when we can get started. Um, and so for a couple of weeks now, every Saturday after I've been like to the farmer's market, we've spoke and we now managed to set something up. But that is hard. Um, so I think that was a good reminder for a lot of us to just check off your financial privilege because we yeah. are incredibly privileged in the West um, to, to, that actually to discuss if it's fair or not to get a Bitcoin tax on mining and shit. But we'll go that, down that road later on. I, I feel remiss that I didn't mention him, but, you know, Alex Gladstein's articles before the book came out, but his right. articles in particular helped me get over this hump of, oh, Bitcoin, I'm going to get rich. It's Bitcoin's going to change the world. And like, in my opinion, at least one of the most influential people in helping me recognize and see that. So absolutely. Like we, and this is the problem I sometimes have. I don't know if this is the direction we wanted to go, but like, I, I just wanted to touch on this and like, I might have minority opinion on ordinals, but I'm a free market supporter. If mm -hmm. that is what the fees dictate and that's what people want to use the block space for, that's what the market dictates. But I think that we have to recognize like there is a, there's a bit of privilege if mm. your use case for Bitcoin right now is just like, oh, I can buy a an ordinal and inscribe it on a sat like let's go like yeah bro like like there are people who are, there are people fucking trying dying to... and starving and hungry yeah. like how many bank runs have we seen across the middle east across africa how many people do we hear about the stories of sending money down to el salvador that lose a majority of their money to western union i was just talking mm -hmm. to away slice last night he was talking about having to send money to his brother in sudan and you know how much he loses through all of the transfer fees like i'm not knocking people mm. it's a free market and you are allowed to do what you want but i just urge you to recognize the privilege that you're able to have to do the things like inscribe an ordinal on a satoshi and then drive the demand ergo the price of a transaction on layer one higher like sure a few extra cents means nothing to you it's the difference between a meal 
for some families in some yeah. parts of the world. Yeah, and I mean, especially for us in the West, when I see these debates, I'm like, are you really arguing because you want to send some, I don't know, payment to a friend on chain for whatever reason, uh, where you pay instead of like half a dollar, you pay maybe a dollar twenty? Come on, get out of here. You still you still pay less than if you do a normal bank transfer. It gets there quicker anyway, and it's less. And it's just what you say. At the end of, at the end of the world, there are people who are quite literally hoping for a low SATS fee because they don't have any other choice but getting that payment out there. And, you know, I've spoken to many people in Africa where they essentially bribed truckers to get out of their countries get their, their daughters out of their countries because they would be literally raped if they would have stayed, stuff like this. Um, so I'm kind of your side. Like, I'm also the free market guy. I'm saying, like, hey, if you guys want to do these weird pictures and inscribe them, okay, I guess. You do you. But I think there's more important shit, at least in my opinion, to, to try and figure out. But then having said that again, you know, it shows Bitcoin is for everyone and sort of every possible scenario in the end will lead to Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, one hundred percent. Maybe we should maybe we should yeah. fight less on like Twitter or Nostra about these kind of things and think how we can <laughs> actually help like the rest of the world. Yeah, it's. But at the same time, like I don't want to get, I don't want people to feel like this is preachy and like oh, but this is the right. Mm. Like, there's no right or wrong thing. It's tough to judge in the present moment mm. what's right or wrong. Like, we might look back and be like we might be using inscriptions in a way that we couldn't have imagined that is genuinely saving humanity. And I'm open to that reality. I'm open to that possibility. But today, right now, throw in a random picture for shits and giggles, like you're not saving anyone. Like you're just Isn't not. It a fart? Was there, was there, was a fart. The fart. The, yeah. The I fart mean, noise that they literally, and then someone also inscribed a poop. I saw recently. Yeah. They like, I get, I get it. I get it. Wow. But I'm also just like, we can do better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you yeah. know, there, there are definitely good use cases. Like I saw, um, was it Rizzo who put a picture of his daughter or his kid up on as an ordinal? I'm like, okay, amazing. Like it's on the Bitcoin blockchain forever. I think it has a symbolic gesture for him. But he obviously didn't do this to like, you know, um, I don't know, start a collection, get rich. At least I hope. No. Like I haven't spoken to him personally, but I don't think so. He's a good guy. Um, so I think there's sentimental value there. But yeah, it's like you said, at one point we kind of have to move on. And I feel like we moved on from like the first wave. It's, it's been gone. People were excited. It's getting back out there and up again. Um, just like everything that's new and shiny. Um, but, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, please. That's it, that's it. That's the end of the comment. <laughs> okay. uh, the one thing I did want to say, and then we can stop talking on the ordinal stuff, but, you know, the the one idea that has stuck with me that I think is very helpful is this idea that, hey, if you are in a dealing with an authoritarian government or at least a government that is censoring, overly censoring what you can and cannot see, the ordinals opened up the possibility to share information uncensored. And like that is very valuable and important, especially in a day and age where we're, we're starting to see how much we get censored. Um, so... Like the use cases could literally come overnight uh, and they, they will be there. There's no doubt in my mind. There will be legitimate use cases. Um, 
But yeah, I, I will just leave it at that. We don't need to keep pounding yeah, it down. It's interesting because we, we don't know where Bitcoin's going to end up in 10 years' time and what, what layers are going to be built on top of it and what technological advancements are going to be had because of Bitcoin's existence in the first place and how it might look again. So yeah, it's, it's an evolving space. It's constantly evolving, but we should always still have those important conversations like your financial privilege, the the fact that you can probably do more being in the West than if you're in somewhere else in, in the world where you're really struggling day to day and using Bitcoin for your own survival. I'm completely behind that with UQ, absolutely. Um, moving on. I want to know a little bit how you ended up in Bitcoin magazine uh, and what it was like um, basically being thrust into a space where you're talking to quite significant people within the Bitcoin space and 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 how you use that time to better your understanding of Bitcoin. Yeah, um, dumb luck. I sort of just, you know, Knew, knew some of the right people, was asked a couple of times for a few different roles that none of them really excited me. And then they had one role where I was like, this could actually be really interesting. And then I had a conversation with Mike Germano and I genuinely left the conversation. I was like, you know, I don't love what the role is, but I really like this guy. And even if I'm here for just a year, which turned out to be very... uh <laughs> very accurate um i think i can learn a lot and i did um and originally like i didn't go there i wasn't supposed to be on camera i was supposed to be producing behind the scenes and unfortunately not unfortunately but it was genuinely we just we needed more content and i like throughout the idea i was like okay like you know i have a background in equities like i can you could throw a stock chart on the screen and i could talk for at least 30 minutes about like what is going on and that type of content will always drive you know viewers and numbers so we did that a few times and people like really liked it like it was very well received i was very surprised by it and then i was sort of being asked urged forced uh pick, pick your choice of word to do more stuff on camera i was very hesitant i really didn't want to do it um, but slowly but surely they were giving me more time and then it turned into, it went from, you know, I was just sort of joining Alex on like random conversations to like, no, I'm joining on all of the interviews to like, then I'm being asked, who do you want to interview? And like, there were some people where I would, I bring up, Hey, I booked this person. Who the fuck is that? I'm like, just trust me. Like, this is going to be a really cool conversation because essentially what I did was from 2020 until 2021 when i i wasn't working and i was just working on my own i was also studying a ton and i was reading a lot of books and i was listening to a lot of podcasts so i had this sort of like like my mentality when we were locked down was you know that old saying of you are a culmination of the six people you spend the most time with well living at home with my parents that's one and two and then i would almost like rotate between four different people, whether they be authors or podcast hosts, dead or alive. And I would just like engross myself in everything they did or said. And, you know, again, like people like Breed Love, one of my favorite interviews I ever did was with Peter Diamandis, who's like a more traditional scientist guy, but also was Sailor's fraternity brother. So like there's that weird connection there. Um, Preston, obviously, 
VJ, just countless others. And I literally had in the back of my mind, I had like just questions on questions from listening to them talk about all these different topics. And for me, I didn't really, I was less concerned about what other people wanted to hear. And I was more concerned like how, like, all right, I get I get a chance to talk to Peter Diamandis, one of, in my opinion, one of the most intelligent people I've ever come across. What are all the questions that I have saved that I want to ask him? Patrick, Bet David, like I've listened to you talk for hours, hours. Like what are the things that I want to talk to you about? Preston, like wh- how are you analyzing things? What are you paying attention to? Just, I spent so much time studying so many of these people and then I truly, I just told myself, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm in grad school right now and like these are my classes and like, let's just learn. Each day I had a different professor and it's like, what can I learn from you? And I, that's, that's sort of how I approached it. It was, who do I want to speak to, to learn from, whether it be they, they wrote something that piqued my interest or they said something or talked about it. Like it, I was very fortunate and blessed. It was one of the most incredible experiences uh, of my life. And I'm grateful for everyone who helped make that genuinely make that dream a reality. Like I, uh, I know Ian, that you know how much of a like football fan that I am. Like for the die die hard football fans out there, like yeah, Ryan Babbitt. Yeah. So first of all, proper football, not yes, the garbage you call no, football. No, I'm, talk, I'm talking proper football. soccer. Soccer, yeah. Yes, yeah, so soccer for my American friends. No I'm talking proper football. Here, yeah. Like, yeah. dude, there was a while like John Terry, who again, proper football fans will know as like the legend from Chelsea. Like, I was DMing him. Like, we were going to have him on the show <laughs> to do an interview nice, with him. We unfortunately like that never came to fruition, but I genuinely I remember talking to one of my buddies. I was like, "You will not believe who I'm like, just casually DMing right now." I ended up having a conversation with Ryan Babel. That was f- incredible. Like we were talking, we talked about Bitcoin, sure, but we also talked about the World Cup. Like he played in the World mm-hmm. Cup finals. Like that was like those type of experiences, and truly, truly remarkable, incredible, and I'm so grateful for it. I hope that answered your question. That's amazing. Um... We had different feelings, Q, at the World Cup final because my heart was torn between I was kind of rooting for Argentina, but then at the same time, a lot of my family lives in France. Uh, I used to live in Switzerland, so I speak French and all of these things. Um, but I think the right team won in the end. <laughs> so <laughs> to I will say this: football. I, I'm a <laughs> guys. You fucking lost me already, man. <laughs> That's fine. You don't. You don't have to listen to this part. Joel, yeah, yeah, Joel got me excited. I'm just. I'm just sitting my now. beer. I've got my beer here. It's good. Carry on. <laughs> I. Uh, so I like the 2006 World Cup. Like I was rooting for France. Like I love Zidane. I lo- like I'm an Arsenal fan. So like Henri for me, it was like a no brainer to root for him. And like that heartbreak. What what was funny for me was like genuinely in almost every World Cup since I I was I figured out a, a nice little pattern. And yet, like secretly, always rooting for France to succeed. So I was very pleased. I I won a lot of money when they won in 2018. Like <laughs> even in 2022, like I, I'll I'll be really honest. My pick was genuinely England, but I you know shotgun my bets. So I had bets on England, France, and Argentina. And when I landed in uh, Qatar for the semi-final games actually i i went to the england france game and i remember thinking i was like wow 
whoever <laughs> wins this, if they play Argentina in the finals, like I get to go to the finals as like a I'm gonna win money no matter what situation. Mm. Like that's a that's a great place to be. Um, but it was the first time I ever didn't root for France in the finals and wasn't like like to be honest with you, I was sitting in the English supporter section. My buddy did not tell me that's where our seats were, and I straight off the fucking airplane like convinced my taxi driver i was like i need your help bro like we got to drop my bags off and then i need you to take me to the stadium i got to the stadium at halftime like i was i was pissed our flight was delayed so much it was it was a nightmare and like i show up i'm wearing my old school on ray jersey i'm like secretly celebrating <laughs> like when they're scoring i'm like people are looking at me and there's like a, a french family and i'm like fist pumping with a little kid i'm like we're going to win <laughs> i mean you could have still said still an arsenal fan but i don't know how much that would have gotten you plus points by the english fans as well <laughs> okay, no. dude Probably i was on, cr- I was on well. so no one was gonna fuck with me like it was, good, it was good, like good. one of those things where yeah, I was like, you're not going to fuck with the crippled. You're not going to fuck with the crippled guy. I'll, I, I will fuck you up with my crutches if you come hey, near what me. Was your, what, was your, what was your experience with the British uh, football fans? Um, they're a rowdy bunch, huh? So it was really limited because like literally I got there, saw the game, and then they, they got eliminated. So most of them left shortly after. Um, so there's no alcohol. There was no alcohol sold in the stadiums. It wasn't that hard to sneak alcohol in. My favorite statistic from the English fans, at least that I saw afterwards, was that this was the only World Cup that there were no arrests by English fans because they couldn't drink as much. So they weren't as like rowdy and raunchous. Um, They were an interesting bunch, to say the least. I will never forget watching Harry Kane miss that penalty, like literally right in front of me, and then just seeing like grown men screaming like howling so angry sad heartbroken and like you knew the game was over as a result of that and i was a little bummed because i was like i wanted to see like i say what you will like the penalty shootout is a tough way to lose but there's something about the intensity of like overtime in a football match but to be honest with you, my takeaway from the World Cup was I've never seen football before. I've watched soccer my whole life, but I've never seen mm. football with my own eyes. And that right. was it was a different sport being played. So I kind of like that. That was yeah. I, I've not answered your question by the way, so I apologize. No they were fine. Like they weren't. They weren't really as rowdy as you would have thought. I really want to come to like proper. Like I want to go to a game in London. Nice. I need to experience that. Yeah, so if you're yeah, ever around, give around, us mate. a ring. Yeah, Absolutely. If you're, if you're in London, there's a home here for you, bro. So, yeah, oh. whenever you're here, you're, you're you're welcome to stay. And I live in Queen's Park, um, so I should be a Queen's Park Rangers fan, really, <gasps> but uh, I'm not. You, you don't have to do that to yourself. That sounds more miserable than being a gooner. <laughs> not currently. <laughs> not currently, but, Joel, like... I know, I've been disappointed by this team so many times in my life. <laughs> One can I, I will say this. We are into February. I mean, we're into March with a five-point lead. Like, that is that is very promising. We only have one more match against Man City. So, like, you can still drop that and you can still have the lead. But, like, the last – not the last two. It was the Aston Villa match and the Bournemouth, Bournemouth – I don't know how to properly pronounce that, that city. Yeah, Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yeah. Bournemouth, Bournemouth. yeah. 
those two matches were matches that should not have been as close as they were. We had dropped one to Everton earlier as well. Like, I know how it goes. There may only be 12 matches left, but anything can happen. And we are genuinely like losing two games away from not being in first. So it is one of those situations where it is European football next year. Like we're playing in the Champions League, which is exciting, which also mm-hmm. means like we were, we we're going to upgrade the team because you will have more money to spend theoretically so long as Kroenke isn't like trying to be a cheap POS. <laughs> um, but the expectation should at least be like, hey, this team will be significantly better next year truth is like honestly i i I don't like chaka he's he's served his duty he's played well he's played well this season sure but like he's a step slow chaka from five years ago i'd be more comfortable with i need and want to see like an elite center mid um so that that is that is the hole i would really like to see i don't I hate saying it like this too, but like I wouldn't hate to see us get like another striker. I know Jesus has been out for most of like since the World Cup and he should be back soon and he was incredible during the first half of the season. Um and like I don't want to move Martinelli or Saka out of the wings, but like you know, if you have Champions League football next year, like you you need more depth. This the one thing that has worked to our favor, like again, Jesus losing Jesus, I was worried. This team has stepped up. Martinelli and Saka in particular have played outstanding. I'll eat my words on Chaka as well. He has played great. And Odegaard is our fucking hero. But like, dude, we are one like God forbid, one of those guys that honestly, if Odegaard Saka or Martinelli goes down right now, the season is over. Mm. Like, I got I, I I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, it's kind of the same mentality you get if you go to the Emirates or if you speak to someone around. Um, but yeah, you know, having said that, we still have more trophies than Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> Peter McCormack is listening. He's definitely not anymore. Um, <laughs> fuck Tottenham. Um, and yeah, it's an exciting time to be alive. I wish, I wish we would maybe see an orange logo on one of the Arsenal jerseys, mm. but... Um, think we're a long way away from that <laughs> maybe i mean maybe i don't put inside no i i don't th- i don't think that we're gonna see it anytime soon but i think it will be very interesting like on that note you know i don't think it's this year but last year coinbase was a sponsor for the nba mm. and you know crypto.com arena here in los angeles like that to me that's still staples center like i'm sorry crypto.com you paid a lot of money but i still call it staples center to my friends like s- sue me <laughs> Um, actually don't, I don't have that much money. So, no, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> um, so like you're starting to see, I think the broader crypto companies poke their head a little bit into sports marketing in particular. And there's a whole, like a whole separate conversation as to why that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and what influence, you know, marketing within sports has and, and can accomplish. But as far as like a tried and true, like, pure bitcoin company i think the closest opportunity we have is cash app um and say what you want about jack say what you want about their business model like i genuinely think like that that is the company that i think will be most likely 
to jump on board to one of these like major sports leagues but i also appreciate like their model has been actually more focused on individual athletes rather than you know just blanket teams because there's a little bit of it's not as personal and i think that cash app like you know they want to be personal with you so that would be the one reason why i think they don't do it but that that would be my pick of of any sort of business that exists right now that is most likely just because they're 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 flirting with it yeah yeah i mean you know i grew up um, being a golfer and uh, the day before i turned pro i had a car accident so like that was thrown <laughs> out of the window are you fucking serious um, joe i didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of backstory to like how I spent most of my summertime and like my springtime in whole of central Europe traveling around to play golf. Um, but I've always said like, I'm quite surprised that we don't see like any golfers, especially with like the Bitcoin community. Cause I do know there are a lot of like these midfield, you know, players on tour, they're not really winning, but they're not doing bad either. Like they're finishing top 20 every week on the PGA Tour. Like you're living a pretty comfortable life. Um, if you want to live even more comfy, like play on the Lyft Tour or whatever. Um, I'm quite surprised that we haven't seen Bitcoin actually step into like, you know, sponsoring the bad boy of golf or sponsoring, I don't know, the loudmouth of golf, whatever it is, and trying to find a way into uh, this way. Because the more lifestyle stuff which is happening in crypto, the easier people got into it. And I think that could be an interesting way in the bull run leading up um, that Bitcoin would become a bit more mainstream because now we're just under fire with like all of the shenanigans happening in and around the White House. Talking about the shenanigans in the White House, Q, this 30% tax nonsense. What what the fuck is going on? What's POTUS talking about? So first there was they're throwing out the idea of a 30 percent tax on the electric or taxing the electricity used to mine bitcoin at a 30 percent higher rate um that is just a signal to me that they don't know what's going on with bitcoin it's the same to me as elon musk's claim that tesla will start accepting bitcoin again once 50% of the energy used to mine Bitcoin is renewable. Well, ding, 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 Elon, we've reached that point already. We've actually surpassed that point. And we will continue to go to that point. Um, I've long held this belief and it continues to not only be validated, but proven correct, um, which I guess is the same thing. Um, you know, Bitcoin miners in particular are incentivized to find the cheapest source of energy not just you know mm -hmm. any source of energy but the cheapest and if they can't they go out of their way to find the cheapest source of energy so i genuinely believe the next iteration of clean energy capture and utilization will come from bitcoin mining and the rest of the world like the easiest example that already exists is the way there are those miners that are utilizing methane gas yeah, I explain that process to a lot of normie friends, and they're like confused. They they genuinely they're at a loss for words. Where they're like, wait, but like that makes sense. Why wouldn't people have already been doing that? I'm like, exactly. They weren't, yeah. but Bitcoin miners figured out how to do that and how to use that energy. So now they're releasing less methane gas into the environment because they're using it. 
Like that didn't exist before Bitcoin. That is a direct result of Bitcoin mining. So that 30% tax is truly to me just a signal that you don't, like these policymakers are out of touch with how this system works. Or, Or the other very real possibility is that they might know how it works and they might understand it. Maybe not to the scope of, hey, this will help the whole green energy movement, but they might understand in the sense that, oh, if Bitcoin is as successful as it has the potential to be, we might not have the amount of power and influence that we currently have. And so if we want to keep that much power and influence, we need to curb Bitcoin's growth in any way possible. That is a possibility. Um, I I just think it's more likely that these people just, they don't know enough about Bitcoin, which again is a very dangerous precedent to then go around making these policy decisions when you don't understand or know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, then there's also, I, I know this one, this isn't the one that you were uh, mentioning, but I think it's worth bringing up the conversation around the new capital gains tax, where they're going to increase capital gains tax to, I believe, 40% now instead of where it currently is 20, at. 20, yeah. Um, well, the, the the tax code is not as like clear cut as like oh you pay a twenty percent tax on capital gains. It, it's like it, the exact same as the broader tax code of like oh up until this much money it's twenty percent. Up until this much money it's twenty five, and so mm-hmm. on and so mm-hmm. forth. The issue though is that capital gains taxes those are calculated after your whatever your other income is. So like if you're someone who's a trader full time, like that is your only source of income. But if you have a full time job and then you're also making money like investing in the markets, like you have more gains in taxes all of a sudden that are taxed. Like most like my capital gains tax rate last year was well above 30% already just based on how much money I had made. So like it's a little disingenuous to just say like, oh, like they're raising, like, yes, the rate that was going to be 20% is now raised to 40, but most of us weren't even paying the 20% to begin with, um, which is a scary proposition because then that means it's that much higher for what we are going to be paying. Um, my favorite take on this, and it, I'm, I'm borrowing it from Twitter. I've seen everyone from Dylan LeClaire to countless others just talk about like the only reason they are pushing forward an idea to raise the capital gains tax is their expectation that there will be a lot of capital gains taxes to collect in the in the future you're not there are going to be very little capital gains taxes collected from last year and this year because the market has gone down so much so people are harvesting losses like i i took a lot of losses so i get to decrease my game yeah yeah so it's not a move that's going to really be felt right now. But at the mm. end of this decade, people are going to feel that. And it will be one of those things where if we don't voice our concerns for it today, it's going to be too late by the time that the tax man comes and says, hey, you actually owe twice as much. Well, we should have been kicking and screaming about it today right now, not when the day comes. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's not one of the things, because I know there are certain things going on in America where 
like the president can maybe order it state wise, but um, uh, federal wise, sorry, but like every state then sort of has its different iterations of how they can accept certain things. That one is pretty much given, right? If he like calls for it, it gets accepted. Basically, everyone has to take it in, or are there like you know, I don't know, the, the Delawares of the U.S. where you like get your cheap businesses up and you don't pay any taxes or almost none? Um, is that possibly also one of these things that certain states would then become another tax haven, and others would just become basically the motor to like keep the system running? Um, that I'm asking that strictly as like a dumb European who doesn't understand how like the American system functions in any way possible. The, the state collects taxes separate from the federal government. So whatever, whatever the policy that comes out of DC, that is as it pertains to the federal government. But mm. then like, like California is one of the highest state income mm. tax rates. And then you, you've got states like Florida, Tennessee, um, Nevada, Wyoming, and Texas that famously like they have no state income tax. So yeah. th this tax policy, it's not going to impact state policies yet, mm -hmm. but like, you know, the tax, tax codes change pretty much every single time there's a new party in power. Yeah. Um, so whatever gets passed today, like, do I think that it stays this way un untouched for the next 10 years. Like absolutely not. Mm. Uh, which, which again just goes to show you uh, just how arbitrary these numbers and ideas of paying taxes are uh, to quote my 150 year old former co-host, you know, <laughs> the federal income tax was a temporary measure that was introduced. Like it was not meant to be permanent. But it has lasted for so long through so many generations that you are hard pressed to find someone who was of tax paying age at the time when there was no federal income tax. And then, you know, now is starting to pay. Like, you don't have that sort of patriarch or mate. I say patriarch because at that time there mm. women weren't mm. allowed to work. So it was only the men that would have had to pay the taxes. You don't have that person sort of instilling that wisdom and people being like, there was a period of time where we weren't doing this. Like all those people have, have died. Mm. So the people who are alive that could have remembered the day and age, like they are, they were too young to even mm. do that or to know what, taxes were or the fact that this is a new concept being introduced they might have heard stories from you know their parents or grandparents but like taxes were temporary yeah i mean what's the meme like when they started a revolution because of like a two percent tax and now we're like what 37 percent on average so that kind of feels like it doesn't it <laughs> i mean we, we pay i mean i don't think you'll find a bitcoiner who thinks that they don't pay too much in taxes. I pay way too much in taxes. Um, and, you know, I have an issue with the fact that you can find this data and see that not since World War II has Congress taken a pay cut. Mm -hmm. And they have only very consistently either raised their salaries or kept their salary at the current level um let me ask the two of you this like if your boss said it's up to you if you get a raise or not how often are you giving <laughs> yourself a raise 
every fuck week, yeah. fucking hell. Yeah, every, <laughs> every time every he week, asks that question. Day. <laughs> yeah, like, it, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, if there is a person who personifies the Cantillian effect, it is someone like a Nancy Pelosi, you know, who've been in, I don't know, government for fucking knows how long. Yeah, but and these they, come fuckers, out they, they continue to get paid beyond their employment. Like yeah, of course. Got, you've, got, you've got the prime ministers of, of past, you've got the presidents of past still getting paid the same fucking salary they were being paid when they were in the, in the job. What the fuck's we have about? We have literally what? a prime minister working for 42 days and getting a pension yeah, of still, 120 in, grand now. Indefinitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, she, she won the system. Like, she played that system yeah, so right. well. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. She, I, she I can do this. one of those courses, yeah. I, I'm stealing How to work from... for 40 days and making money forever. <laughs> I, I need me one of those, man. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm stealing this from Chris Rock, but I'll never forget this. It was his um, opening monologue for Saturday Night Live shortly after the election. And he talked about how you know, in America, we talk about how, like, you know, we got rid of the king. We don't have kings. Like, you know, we get a new president. We have this democracy and we re-elect, re-elect new presidents. But while we do that, while we change the head of state, we literally leave all of the dukes and duchesses in power. Like Nancy Pelosi was a politician during the days of JFK. Yeah. Like, like, that is, this woman has been in power since before my dad was in this country like my dad was five years old Mm -hmm. and it's like you you start to really question this idea and i'm a big believer that the way i at least interpret the way the founding fathers intended some of these laws in this country in america at least was you know the idea of being a public servant was not a career. It was never meant to be mm-hmm. a career. You were not meant to spend your life in public service. You were meant to have some role in your community, like doctor, like teacher, whatever, baker. And you notice there is a flaw in the system. There's something that could be improved because I deal with this on a day-to-day basis. I know this very well. I'm going to close my practice for a little bit. I will go serve in public office to fix the things that I am familiar with because I see these things as they can be improved if we make these changes. And someone else with a different area of expertise will also run and have a different position in public office and they will discuss and share why these things need to get changed in their in their sort of purview of their line of work. And once you sort of finish your term, then you return back to then you know, going back to whatever the original career was. And it's important to I think recognize the fact that in America, this idea of president only serves two terms, like that was a formality that was never actually ingrained into law until after FDR. And it started because George Washington, essentially, he only wanted to serve one term. He was begged to stay on for a second. And after the second term, he was like very adamant, like, no, I will Mm -hmm. not serve another term. Like no one should just remain in power. And he, no one ratified that. No one put that to law. And unfortunately, there were so, again, it goes back to 
why do we not question the fact that we're paying taxes? Because so many generations have passed. FDR is about 160 years after George Washington. So when FDR is essentially making his case that, hey, I should be able to run and serve as president for another four-year cycle because I was, you know, sick for two and didn't really serve this, that, or the other, coming up with all of his excuses and rationale. And then it was Congress that came forward and was like, no, that's not how this works. We're going to push forward this this legislation to say, no, you have to, you know, step down. There's a cap. There's now, the cap is, is actually 10 years. And the way they sort of have set it up is, you know, if you are a vice president and you come in, mm. let's say with two years left in the president's term, you can still run for a re-election twice. Or if you are a vice president, you came in for three years. You can still seek re-election, but you can only get one year of the term. I, th- I think that it's never been tested. So, but it is important to, again, note, because this happened 160 years after George Washington essentially said, like, no one should have this much power. No one also thought to question or ask, like, hey, mm. We should probably install this in Congress as well. We should probably include term limits in co- Congress. No, we we never did that. And so now we have situations where you have, like one of my fucking senators in this country is literally so senile. She's been in power for longer than I've been alive. And I'm sitting here like, how the fuck do you know what my priorities are? Like, how do you know what I, my friends, my family need if you've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last 40 plus years, like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like, oh, you're you're so mean to a, a woman who has rights. Shut the fuck up. She, yeah. Dianne Feinstein should not be, and thank God she is not running for re-election, but she, should, she shouldn't have run for re-election probably for the last 10 years. Nancy yeah. Pelosi should not be in any way, shape, or form shaping or having any influence over policy decisions. And I'm not even talking from the lens of because she's manipulated and used her power to enrich her and her family. Like, no, separate issue. I'm just talking from the lens of how can you, at 80 years old, genuinely know, just how can you know what my priorities are as a 20-year-old, as a 30-year-old in the information age, when I've grown yeah. up with things like smartphones and social media and the internet, like these these are things that you, when you were my age, you didn't have. How can mm. you know how I want to be using these things to better myself, my family, my society? You don't. And you lack the curiosity to learn. And that's my larger issue with it. Yeah. There is this... We know best sort of mentality that they push forward. And it's a dangerous rhetoric, in my opinion. It's a very... Yeah, and, the, and the hypocrisy is like, do do as I say, don't do as I do, you know? It, and, and, and they're lining their own pockets. They're making their own beds. You know, they're looking after each other. It's just corruption to the core, you know? And they learned from the best, you know, the, the British Empire, you know, influenced a lot of the, the, the world as, uh, as they went around in their ships, colonizing every corner of the globe they could. You know, we, 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 we set the example and uh, the legacy still exists today in many different forms across the globe but that's a whole other rant for, uh, rant for another day q <laughs> i'm conscious that we're running 
up to to an hour and I'm, I, I very much want to allow you the opportunity Q to tell us what you're currently doing particularly I had the absolute pleasure of uh, coming on to your new podcast late night with Q um I I, I was um it was, it was Enjoying an entertaining one. Yeah, and I'm sorry for, <laughs> and I apologize for eating fried chicken um, Bro, whilst, was, whilst we were talking. Why, so. why are you apologizing? It was a great time. Uh, Joel, great you're going to have to come on time. too, man. Like, this, yeah. th- this has been uh, a lot of fun, but as as uh, Ian sort of alluded to, I have started my own podcast. You can follow along right now. The channel is just called Q Like the Letter, uh, all one word, just like my Twitter handle. Um, and I started the podcast late night Bitcoin, uh, just, you know, to keep the conversations going, but a little more lighthearted, less, uh, I'm not going to say less signal, but maybe less serious conversations. Uh, you know, last night I, I spent an hour and a half talking about food and cooking more than I did about Bitcoin, but you know, it's, that's at its core, you know, Bitcoin is for everyone and I want you know, everyone to feel comfortable coming into this space without judgment, without worries or fears. Um, there are no stupid questions. Everyone, mm-hmm. everyone from the person you idolize down to your friend who introduced it to you. I particularly enjoyed the episode um, when you was um, playing the role of uh, Bitcoin girl. Q. <laughs> you filled that role so well. Q, it's been an absolute it pleasure. You go and do your thing. Thank you and take care, bruv.